Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each month will consist of two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome to the American Council of the Blinds Employment Committee's podcast, Let's Get to Work. Today, we're interviewing Father Jamie Dennis, who is, not surprisingly, a priest. Thanks for joining us, Father. You're welcome. So, Father, tell us what prompted you to become a priest. Well, the short story of that, it really started when I... Uh, began college at Brescia University uh, here in Owensboro, uh, Kentucky. I have always loved trains my whole life. I actually live in a caboose on my day off every week uh, that the railroad gave me. And I've been a member of the Kentucky Railway Museum since I was probably six or seven years old. And as I started losing my sight uh, due to RP, Uh, My love of trains grew stronger. I knew the reality that I would not be able to be an engineer commercially, um, but the railroads, the Paducah and Louisville Railroad had talked with me about maybe working in their offices someday. And they told me if I got a business degree, uh, that would be the way to go. So that was my goal from elementary school on. So I went to Brescia, which is a small Catholic school. And Uh, small class sizes and all of that, easy to navigate the campus. So I started uh, going to my business classes. And the other thing, since it was a Catholic school, they had a chapel with mass offered every day. And I thought, well, I was loosely raised Catholic. And I thought, I'm going to take ownership of my faith. So I decided to start going to mass every day from the night that I moved in. Well, a funny thing happened. I would go to the chapel late at night for quiet because I didn't like the loud music going on in the dorms and (laughs) eventually found myself praying. I also found that I hated my business classes (laughs) and uh, I started taking some theology classes. And so that's really how it started. And I started falling in love with God more and more every day. And I figured out that I wanted to serve him. I avoided the word priesthood for a while, but finally what Uh, got me over that uh, because one of the excuses I made why I couldn't be a priest was, you know, how am I going to deal with death and dying? Because that's something a priest deals with sometimes every week. Well, I had a cousin who was dying with cancer. And um, even though I was just in the lay ministry program at Brescia, by this point, I'd switched my major. uh, My family already looked at me as, quote, the priest of the family, and I wasn't (laughs) a priest or anything. Um, but being trained at that point, at that point to be a lay minister. And, um, when my cousin died, my family asked for me to speak at the end of her funeral mass. And I was terrified. I went to my college president, father Larry Hossetter. And I said, you know, father Larry, what do I do? What do I say? He said, well, it's not about what you say or do. It's, it's mainly just you being there. And he said, by the way, Bishop John McGrath and I have been talking. We think you should go to seminary and be a priest. (laughs) (laughs) And one other priest, Father Joe Merkt, had come up to me, one of my professors, and he just randomly told me one day, he said, Jamie, I think you should be a priest. 
And so finally, all of these barriers were torn down and I had to finally say, yes, I'm being called. And that's how it started. I just wanted to give Jesus to his people. And I figured out being a priest, celebrating the sacraments, that's how I'm called to do that. So you've talked about a number of barriers that sort of, if you, it, that sort of fell out of your way. Um, and talk about how your blindness fit into all of this. You know, you're, you're at a, you're at a college, yes. which majors and all of that. How, how did that play into all of this? So at first, you know, I tried to say, well, a blind person can't be a priest. Well, I was told there are blind priests and there's even a priest who's deaf and blind. And, um, you know, so there, that got pushed out of the way real quick. Um, but let, let me however, stop, let, let me stop for, you know, for just for a second, if you don't mind. So you yeah, found, yeah. how did you find this out about these, these priests who were blind or blind deaf? Well, um, one of, well, a couple of priests that, um, were around me, uh, one of them gave me a book that was by the, the deaf blind priest oh. who's, uh, yeah. And, um, so, you know, word gets around and that's, that's how it got back to me. And the issue was, uh, the seminary that our diocese of Owensboro, uh, sends guys to, to, uh, you know, be in seminary formation. They'd never had a blind person before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a challenge. Um, so it, it was difficult going through seminary as a blind person, but, uh, you know, I made it, I didn't give up and I worked very hard. I had to adapt as I went. And even, um, after being ordained, you know, I had to braille some of my books myself. And then thankfully, uh, the Xavier society for the blind helped me with a lot of braille materials. They do Catholic publications. They're based out of New York. I want to go back um, to uh, uh, did you did, when you found out there were priests who were blind and or deafblind? Did you talk to any of them uh, um, after? Well, no, not till after I was already in seminary. Okay. Um, so I was about halfway through seminary when I met a blind priest. Actually, the first one to be ordained in this country, Father Larry Gillick, who's a Jesuit. So um, you know, I'm in. Uh, a diocese where he's in a religious order. So it's kind of two different worlds to one extent, but uh, I was going to Creighton University where he's based in Omaha, Nebraska. I was going up there for kind of a spiritual boot camp summer. And uh, so I got to meet him while I was there and we still correspond occasionally. And, but yeah, he gave me a lot of encouragement and some pointers. And of course um, he was ordained before the Vatican II council in the sixties. So Back then, blindness was actually an impediment to orders, meaning you had to get a dispensation from Rome to be ordained if you were blind. And he went through that process. That must be a so, story in itself. Yeah, definitely. Is, is he still around? Is, is, oh, yeah. He's, he's still active in his ministry. He travels the world giving missions and retreats and uh, being a spiritual director. Yes, he's, he's very active. Awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to now move up. Uh, you, uh, you've sort of alluded to some of the challenges you experienced at and seminary. The first one you mentioned was that you were the first blind person. They didn't quite know what to do with you, uh, putting my words into your mouth. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, but can you sort of talk about some of the, bar- more specifically about some of the barriers you had and how you overcame them? Well, of course, just like any other graduate program, there's research and, you know, not being a state school, if you will, some of their technology was limited. So I had to rely on classmates to assist with helping me with research, finding books in the library, things like that, which, you know, we figured it out as we went. 
um, and it, it worked. Um, the other thing was uh, learning how to go about doing basic ministry in a parish and how to address whether I could do it or not, um, which I didn't have all the answers at first. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I was told a few months after I got to the seminary was, um, you know, we question your usefulness to your diocese because you can't drive and you're going to be assigned to a rural diocese. How are you going to minister to people if you can't get to them in a moment's notice? Say if somebody's dying and they need last rites, you got to be there. And what solution so, did you ultimately come up with? So ultimately, um, when I got into the parishes um, as a seminarian, we figured out a volunteer driver system. And that's what I still do today as a priest. And that is huge. So basically what that means is I have a list of drivers from the parish that are volunteer. And some of them are assigned certain hours of days and uh, different times of days. Some are on call as in, you know, emergency in the night if I need something. Because I do get calls sometimes at two and three in the morning from the hospital. Um, you know, if someone's dying and they need a priest sure. right then. Yep. Actually, the hospital has a deal worked out with me because um, I'm the youngest priest in the city and I can get out of bed in five minutes. And I've told them, I said, if you need me, send an employee to come get me. And that's what they do occasionally. And yeah. So I, I'm curious about something you, you mentioned. You um like any student would have difficulty figuring out research projects and finding books in the library and all that stuff. Uh, what technology did you use? You know, uh, you know, I while used, you doing all this? Um, yeah, I used the zoom X scanner that, uh, you know, would scan pages out of a book and read them back. I used that a lot. By the time the iPhone came in, I was starting to use that, although the dictation function and the voiceover wasn't quite there yet when I was still in seminary. I wish, you know, if I had it today to do over and I had the technology that I have today, it would have been a lot easier. Sure. <laughs> but it is what it is. And my professors worked very well with me. Uh, some of them were monks. Some of them were lay people. Um, but what they would do is, you know, they would they knew that I couldn't cite a lot of the sources very well because my scanner didn't always pick up the page numbers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they would discuss with me, okay, where did you find this? Where'd you get that? And so we would discuss it. And um, so, you know, they worked with me, which was amazing. Um, yeah. It is amazing. So, so, you know, so they really helped you. They supported helping yourself, if you will. Yes. And it was, it was excellent. It was um, you know, in a lot of ways, easier than public school in that sense, um, how they would work with me on some of those things. So I'm curious about something. More and more colleges these days and universities are assigning teen project, team projects, you know, in, in graduate school, undergraduate <laughs> school. Was that the case in seminary? And if it, if, if it was, how did you function as, as a team? You know, in, sometimes, in um, sometimes. But here's the other thing. Seminary is a toe in one sense. It's similar to college, but in others, it's not. It's a it's basically a fraternity. So when especially your class, um, because you basically all live together in the same building, um, you have the same projects. Um, so we're not always working in 
teams, a lot of times we'll do it as a class mm-hmm. more often than not. And, um, you know, we all have the exact same goal, get ordained. So, I mean, in that sense, we're all on the same page and we work well together and we help each other because we want to get ordained and serve our people. And so it's a, it's a brother thing is another mm-hmm. way I would explain it. Yeah. it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So you would, you would find ways to support them and they'd find ways to support you. It sounds like mm-hmm. that's sort of the way the environment it sort of was. Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. So talk about, okay. So you're, you're doing all this research, you're doing all this theological stuff. Um, but you're also doing the practical stuff, preaching, pre- yes. learning how to preach sermons. You're learning how to, to, to counsel people, to deal with yes. all the things. So talk about how your blindness, blindness fit into all those kinds of things, sort of the practical stuff you do day to day as yeah. you're learning this stuff. So we would have once a week, what we called a ministry placement. So depending on what year that you were in seminary, you would be assigned to different tasks, uh, whether it be teaching, religious education, you know, similar to Sunday school. Um, And then some of us would be sent out to do uh, work in a homeless shelter or something like that. One of my favorite ministry assignments was uh, in Evansville, which is about 40 minutes from the seminary, St. Meinrad, the House of Bread and Peace. It was a women's shelter. And the only men allowed to enter the door were seminarians. And it was started by a Benedictine nun, and uh, they had established this custom of two seminarians coming together uh, on Wednesday nights to eat supper with the ladies. And a lot of them had either just come out of an abusive relationship or out of jail. And so uh, we would be sent to just be a positive male presence for them. Sure. And um, not to brag, but I was told I was one of the best seminarians they ever had. One, because I couldn't see them, so I didn't judge them on their based on their appearance. And I met them where they were. Um, I was fully present to them. I wasn't afraid of them because <laughs> um, some of the guys were kind of intimidated by, by some of these women and where they had come from and what they'd been through. But I enjoyed myself. I talked with them. I shared things with them. And, and they were open to me. And... Um, one of the things I'll never forget was uh, this This one day, uh, one of the daughters of one of the ladies came in from school and she said, well, you know, this guy tried to uh, put his hands on me. And I said, don't accept that. I said, you are. I said, you are a queen and that is how you are supposed to be treated. Do not let any man force himself on you like that. That is inappropriate. And, and, and how did she take it? Well, the funny thing was all the other women started gathering around <laughs> to listen. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, it it was like an aha moment for her. It's like, you know, I can demand respect. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that those were some of the things that I did. So I'm curious about something. I, I, I've spent quite a bit of time in my life running uh, workshops and, and uh, group sessions and doing some coaching and that kind of stuff, which is not quite the same of what you're doing. And what I have found is that, it's it's a weird dynamic that that people are more likely sighted people are more likely to be more open to me because maybe for whatever reason, but I'm pretty confident that blindness plays a part. Have you mm-hmm. had, have you what is your what is your sense about that? I would say yes, one hundred percent, especially in the confessional. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because, you know, after the Vatican II Council, the church opened up confession a little bit because used to, you went behind a screen so the priest could not see you and, um, and you couldn't see the priest. Well, a lot of places don't have the screens anymore. Well, mine is built in. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I do find that I get a lot of people that visit my parish because they know I can't see them and that makes them comfortable and they don't feel like I'm judging them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts um, about them removing the screen? Some people need to be face to face. That's just Mm -hmm. how they are. Sure. Um, And others don't. And that's just fine. Yeah. Um, I don't really have an opinion about it one way or the other. That's okay. I was just curious because you silver, you have a unique perspective about this. I would, or you might, you might have a unique perspective about this. And yeah, but I will say too, um, kind of on a different level is I'm very traditional. I'm very old school. So what I mean by that in the church sense is I like smells and bells. So um, incense, the bells during the consecration of the Eucharist, um, Gregorian chant, the more ancient things appeal to me because they, they stimulate all the senses and not just sight. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing with that is that I get criticized by some, quote, more liberal-leaning priests who are more into the hip and groovy, as we say. And they look at me as a traditionalist, and they don't look past the tradition and don't see that that is how a blind person prays. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. No, it's a very interesting dynamic. And uh, we could talk a lot about that, but I want to move on um, a little bit more. So talk about some of your other, you talked about one experience in that. Um, homeless shelter for women. Uh, What what other kinds of experiences, internships, if you will, did you have while you were in seminary? Um, Of course, the preaching aspect, um, you know, once I got ordained a deacon, the focus becomes more of preaching and knowing how to speak to your congregation. And, um, you know, depending on your church building, because some of them are more traditional where you have a center aisle and, you know, a more Gothic design. And then others are kind of in the round. So one of the things that I had to learn at the church that I was a deacon at, which is actually the church I'm assigned to right now still um, as a priest, the way the church is built, it's kind of in a cross shape. So you have two different, two different sides, not just the middle. And so when I'm preaching, I have to remember to consciously look back and forth. Interesting, yeah. So as a blind person, I'm very good at making eye contact <laughs> <laughs> sure. and it helps to make people comfortable. And I think that applies not just to preaching, but to talking to people in, in general, because I've been told that a lot of blind people just look down at, at their stomach and they don't look at people when they talk to them. And that's important. Yeah, um, it, it's a real skill. Yeah. And it's something you got to you got to consciously think about but it can be done. And once you get it ingrained in your head, it becomes more natural. And some people forget that you're blind. Yeah, no, it's an interesting, yeah, I, I understand that. You mentioned Gregorian chant. How did you learn all those Gregorian chants? So the beautiful thing is the seminary that I went to is part of a Benedictine monastery. And uh, one of the monks, Father Columba Kelly, composed Gregorian chant, um, modeling off the Latin chant to be able to do it in English, because, you know, now we have the mass in whatever vernacular language. 
And so basically how I learned to chant, because the liturgy of the hours, which is the prayer of the Psalms throughout the day, a priest is required to do the Psalms throughout the day, every day for the rest of his life. So in four weeks, I have prayed all 150 Psalms and then start over. That's, that's my day, day in and day out. And so there's a way to sing it when you do it in community with your parish or a group of priests or whatever. Um, the, the Psalms are set up in stanzas. And so you change the note depending on how many lines in the stanza there are. So you don't have to read music to be able to do chant. And, you know, you can also do it by the phrase um, and different pieces like that. So, yeah, I sing I sing a lot of the mass. No, I, I, I remember hearing you do that at the uh, uh, American Council of the Blind Convention last last uh, yeah. July and was mm-hmm. was curious about that. And you did a yeah. really, you did a really nice job with that. So and thank you. And the other piece to that is when it comes to using Braille, um, one of the things that I have learned Doing the chant helps me um, read the Braille a lot easier. My brain translates it better because the rhythm of the chant keeps me flowing. Um, because you know how Braille is. If, you know, if you're uncomfortable with something, you're going to stumble a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the chant keeps me focused. And that mental translation isn't working as hard because of that. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I can. I can understand that. So mm-hmm. let, let's continue with your story. So you, you, you graduate from seminary. That must've been a big day. And then what mm-hmm. happened next? And then what happened next? So I was ordained a priest and I was assigned to St. Stephen's cathedral and I was there two years. And then I was at uh, St. Mary of the woods in Whitesville for a year. And then I came to uh, back to blessed mother uh, where I am now. And I've been here for a little over two and a half years. Um, the interesting thing, uh, when I was at St. Stephen's Cathedral, we also had a mission parish, uh, Blessed Sacrament Chapel, which is a predominantly African-American community. And um, so I was there a lot, too. And then also when I was at Whitesville at St. Mary's, we also had a mission church, too, in Fordsville, which is basically just a little farm parish. And um, so I've been to a variety of different places, and uh, it's, it's been wonderful at all of them. And because each parish is different and I have to preach differently at each one because it's a different dynamic of community. Yeah. And, you know, because at the cathedral, it's a little more affluent um, as opposed to Blessed Sacrament Chapel, which is a little, I'd say, middle class, lower class, African-American. So, you know, plus at that parish, they... Um, they want a little more charismatic preaching, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, yeah. which I gave them and they, <laughs> they, they taught me and I did it and I, you know, we, we made it work. I, I, I like to brag that I was probably, I was probably the only white priest in this area that could preach like a black preacher. So was, was there a uh, lot, of, was there a lot of call and response in that, in that sort of preaching? Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. 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 Very much so. And, yeah. and that's what they want. And yeah. uh, that's their culture. And, and I loved it. I embraced it, and um, and it has influenced my preaching at other places. So yeah. So so, uh, so um, what is your sort of title in your current job, if you will? Well, um, since I was ordained, right. um, the church term is parochial vicar. Okay. Um, the secular term for that is associate pastor. Okay. And so my basic duty is to assist my pastor. Um, 
And, you know, whatever jobs he needs help with, I do. I don't have as many of the administrational roles because that's the pastor's duty. And, uh, and I work with the staff of wherever I'm at. And, um, you know, I basically, I'm, I'm the pastor's right-hand man. I help him with uh, masses, with homebound visits, hospital visits. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's basically everything except the administrational piece and some of the decision-making pieces, which the pastor I'm with now, Father Mike Clark, um, he's very good at teaching me. He wants me to be a pastor after I leave here. Mm-hmm. And so he's preparing me for that. So he's intentionally showing me things, teaching me things to be a pastor. What, what, a, what, a, what a great opportunity. Yes. And not just how to be a pastor, um, but how to live as one. So he's teaching me how to cook. He's teaching me how to manage finances. Um the things they don't teach you in seminary. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, talk to you. Know, I asked you about the technology you used in in uh, seminary. What technology do you use in the in the in the current roles that you that you find yourself doing besides cooking? Um, so, the other technology I use, I use an Apex Braille Note. Okay. I love that. Um, my iPhone, honestly, is the main thing I use um, for email texting. Uh, my YouTube channel, Facebook, because we have a parish Facebook, which I help uh, post things for that. Um, and I have a wonderful staff who supports me with things. And um, and again, my drivers, um, my Braille materials for the, from the Xavier Society for the Blind. So I'm very simple. I don't like a lot of gadgets. I try to have as few as possible. And um, I just I like to be simple. I do what I need to do. Most of my life revolves around the sacraments, making people making sure people have their sacraments and, you know, I'm present to them. A lot of it's just as simple as going out to eat with somebody and letting them talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple more questions. And the first was, how has your love of trains continued through your role uh, in ministry and how the two? Oh, yes. So that's um, that's a fun story. So. Um, to back up a little bit, when I was, before I went to seminary, my pastor at my home parish, Father Randy Howard, he asked me one day, he said, uh, why do you love trains so much? And I said, well, it's just something about being in the cab of a locomotive and, you know, having that throttle there with all that power at your fingertips and knowing that you're responsible for people riding behind you. Um, cause I was allowed to drive a locomotive several times at the train museum and I have my own railroad on my farm, uh, narrow gauge railroad. Uh, but anyway, father Randy said to me, he said, well, just imagine the power of God working through you someday to change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ for God's people to take care of them that way. And it's like, Oh, my love of trains has been preparing me for this. And so the way that the trains are still in my in my life and in my ministry, um, I love the the idea of pilgrimage, and so I've actually written a retreat that can be done in several ways on a train and using the train at the the railway museum that I'm a member of, and uh, you know basing it on early church teaching on Jewish teaching because there was the notion of pilgrimage to the temple, sure, and you know different things like that. So. I've started giving retreats on trains, uh, even at my own railroad on my farm, and you know just a variety of things like that. And then, of course, 
um, my vacations, I get on Amtrak in St. Louis and go to California two or three times a year. And so those trips are a ministry too, even though they're vacation, um, because taking those trips out West, I run into a lot of people, especially in the dining car, because I usually travel alone. So when you travel alone on Amtrak and you go to the dining car, they seat you with other people. Of course. So it's my way of kind of taking the pulse of the country because I intentionally listen to people's perspectives, where they are, what they're talking about, what they're thinking. And then that gets incorporated into my preaching in the parish. So I want to turn one final weird corner with you and, and ask you. What advice would you give to your earlier self as a blind person, you know, uh, to to get that first job, if you will? I would say be patient with sighted people. That's something I've always had to tell myself. Um, It's it's challenging. And, you know, there's this balance that we have to have of being independent and asking for help when we need it. And it's it's a hard balance to find sometimes. And there's sometimes where we have to give one way or another, depending on the situation you're in and who you're dealing with. So, you know, the people that are in my parish, they have watched me function now um, for several years, and they know what I can and can't do. You know, when I first got here, they wanted to do a lot more for me, but they learned real quick that I can do a lot. Yep. And, and it, I would teach them gently. And that's what we have to do. Teach people gently because we don't want to be looked at as the bitter blind person that have to, has to have everything their way. You know, you know, it, there, there's a time and place for education and there's a time and place for keeping the peace. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And sometimes the two mm-hmm. are connected. Sometimes the two are connected. Yes. Uh, Father James Dennis, thank you so much for, for joining us on. You're Let's welcome. Get, Let's get to work. It's been fabulous. And we wish you well in your future endeavors. Thank you. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee at the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, 